Hello, and welcome to A History of Japan. Season 8, Episode 3, Takauji's Triumph The Taiheiki testifies that when Emperor Go-Daigo ordered Kusunoki Masashige to join Nita Yoshisada's efforts to defeat the Ashikaga army in a pitched battle, Masashige did not want to go. He saw Yoshisada's plan as a reckless maneuver which was likely doomed to failure. The great army now marching toward the capital was, for one, extremely large. Current estimates put it somewhere between 30 and 40,000 troops, while the loyalists in Kansai probably mustered between 15 and 20,000 to defend. Not great odds even among equally talented commanders, but Takauji was considered an especially skilled strategist. Masashige, himself renowned as a talented strategist, proposed an alternate strategy which had worked against Takauji in the recent past. Evacuate the capital, let the Ashikaga seize it, then drive them back out again. While Heian-kyo was a politically important city, it was not built in a way that was easily defensible. Masashige's plan is one of the great what-ifs in Japanese history, and it seems likely that it would have succeeded if it had been put into motion. But Emperor Go-Daigo hated the idea of abandoning the capital once again and refused to entertain the idea. If this were another samurai's life story, they may have defected or abandoned the cause or taken some other treacherous action against their liege. In the case of Kusunoki Masashige, however, he chose obedient loyalty over grudging disappointment. According to the Chronicles, he believed he would die in the upcoming battle, and so he prepared himself for his fate, donned his armor, and led his warbands onto the battlefield. While any account that stems from the Taiheiki should be treated with skepticism, this particular incident seems likely to have actually happened. Masashige was a skilled strategist, as evidenced by his intrepid defense of Chihaya Fortress during the Genko War. Sunsa, in his famous treatise The Art of War, advocates for generals to ignore interference from the sovereign once the war has begun. Clearly, Kusunoki Masashige would not have agreed. The river known as Minatogawa was an inlet along the southern coast of Chubu. The loyalists set up their defensive lines on the eastern bank, deploying several divisions along the coast to counter any amphibious attack from the sea. However, to the rear of the army was the Ikuta River, another inlet, whose wide mouth was very accommodating to ships. Kusunoki Masashige's force was deployed on the west side of the river, prepared to meet Tadayoshi's advance head-on. Meanwhile, the Hosokawa fleet attempted a landing but was harshly rebuffed by loyalists defending the beach and had to settle for landing further east, near the mouth of the Ikuta River. Tadayoshi's forces charged against Masashige and Yoshisada crossed the Minato River to counterattack a flanking maneuver by troops led by Shoni Yorihisa. The Shoni-led troops, however, were elite picked fighting men, who inflicted severe casualties on Nita's group, so Yoshisada retreated and regrouped his forces on the far side of the Minato River. By this point, the Hosokawa fleet had landed toward the Loyalist rear, and Yoshisada raced with his troops to meet this new threat, 
effectively abandoning Kusunoki Masashige on the far side of the Minatogawa. Attacked from two sides, Nita Yoshizara's forces were hard-pressed and soon fled in the face of the renewed Hosokawa assault. Kusunoki Masashige's division fought desperately, but Tadayoshi and his Shoni allies surrounded them, and defeat became a foregone conclusion. As his bodyguards held the enemy back, Kusunoki Masashige committed seppuku on the battlefield. According to the Taiheiki, Ashikaga Takauji respected Kusunoki Masashige in spite of their political differences. A story from the text claims that Masashige's head was initially misidentified, and that Takauji took great pains to send the correct head to his grieving family, with a note expressing his own sadness at the loss of the loyalist leader. One of Masashige's sons, named Masatsura, who was ten at the time, prepared to commit seppuku in his grief, but was prevented by his mother, who told him that he must take up his father's cause and crush the enemies of the rightful emperor. It's difficult to know how much credence to give to such dramatic tales, which were written 50 or 60 years after the events, but it is certainly true that the Kusunoki clan would hold the Ashikaga in contempt for many generations after the death of Masashige. The Battle of Minatogawa resulted in a crushing defeat for the Loyalists and a glorious victory for the Ashikaga alliance. Emperor Godaigo, upon receiving news of his army's defeat, gathered the imperial regalia, then fled from Mount Hiei and the welcoming shelter of the monks of Enryakuji. He had ordered Masashige to fight because he didn't want to abandon the capital, but staying behind was no longer an option. He waited anxiously upon the mountain as Ashigaga Takauji once more took possession of Heian-kyo. Nita Yoshisada, having survived the battle at Minatogawa through sacrificial rearguard delaying actions of his troops, now regrouped in Yamashiro province and prepared to defend Emperor Godaigo, who was now sheltered on Mount Hiei. Takauji ordered a siege of Enryakuji, but this was meant to frighten the emperor into submission, not actually destroy the mountaintop temple. After two weeks, however, the loyalist resistance at the temple complex proved fierce and unrelenting. Takauji arranged for retired Emperor Kogon, in whose name he had been acting, to be brought to Heian-kyo to help inspire supporters of the Jimyoin line. The loyalist insurgency was not only contained on Mount Hiei, and many organized into guerrilla divisions which carried out surprise raids and ambushes against Ashikaga troops and strongholds. A month after the Battle of Minatogawa, Nawa Nagatoshi led an army into Heian-kyo and a ferocious battle ensued in which Takauji himself was in danger. The loyalists were defeated and Nagatoshi killed, but it became clear that Emperor Godaigo's supporters were anything but pacified. After two months of fierce, violent disruption, Takauji acknowledged that his cause may be in danger if he did not take a more active posture against the loyalist fighters. Thus, in October, he ordered fresh offensives against the guerrilla bands around the capital, even managing to drive Nita Yoshisada out of the area. Takauji offered terms for the emperor's surrender, claiming that his primary purpose in all of the civil strife was to destroy Nita Yoshisada. Emperor Godaigo likely knew that this was a smokescreen, but now he was isolated in his mountaintop temple and his cause seemed hopeless. He ordered Nita Yoshisada to take princes Takanaga and Tsunenaga with him to Echizen province in northern Kansai, 
where the anti-Ashikaga resistance was attempting to regroup once more. On November 13, 1336, Emperor Go-Daigo descended the mountain with the imperial regalia and was taken into custody by Takauji's warriors. With the emperor and imperial regalia now in his hands, Takauji's coup was practically complete. He had already arranged for Prince Yutahito, a younger brother of retired Emperor Kogon, to be installed as the new Tenno, and now he could make his ascension official. He is remembered as Emperor Komyo, though his future official status, and Emperor Kogon's as well, would be disputed by Japanese historians and chroniclers. In the National Chronicles, Ashikaga Takauji is frequently portrayed as a mustache-twirling villain, a man whose voracious ambition overreached his status and who made the nation suffer for the sake of his avarice. However, in recent years, a more nuanced view has begun to eclipse his usually cartoonish portrayal. Whatever his intentions, Emperor Godaigo's governance had been a disaster, not only for the samurai who supported Takauji and his brother, but for smallholders, farm laborers, and those seeking just resolutions to their disputes. It's entirely possible that, given the massive level of dissatisfaction with the Kemmu restoration, if it had not been Takauji who seized power, it would have been another samurai of similar rank. Perhaps I would be discussing the early years of Nita Yoshisada's rule, or Nawa Nagatoshi, or even Kusunoki Masashige. And speaking of the loyalist hero of Kawachi, it is worth recognizing that he was probably right about abandoning the capital and then retaking it after the Ashikaga troops had taken up residence. As I was researching this season, I was surprised at how close it seemed the loyalists came to crushing Takauji's occupying force, even without the tactical genius of Masashige among their number. If you'll indulge me in some further what-if, I think a convincing case can be made that the Loyalists may have ultimately triumphed against Takauji if Kusunoki Masashige had managed to survive the Battle of Minatogawa. In his desire not to appear too aggressive in his siege of Enryakuji, Takauji had nearly lost the entire gambit when Nawa Nagatoshi charged his troops into the capital. With Masashige's strategic vision, the Ashikaga army may very well have been crushed. Unfortunately for Emperor Go-Daigo, that is not what happened. He had been effectively retired as emperor and sidelined for the near future. As much as this was a power grab by Ashikaga Takauji, however, he absolutely wanted to give the appearance that all of this was consensual and even amicable. It shouldn't look like what it is. He arranged to have Emperor Go-Daigo honored with the title of Dajo Tenno, or Grand Sovereign. While much of this was done to paper over Takauji's coup, there is evidence that the samurai overlord respected retired Emperor Go-Daigo and hoped that eventually relations between them might be restored. While he had installed a member of the Jimyoin line to the Chrysanthemum throne, he maneuvered to have Emperor Go-Daigo's son, Prince Narinaga, named as the successor to Emperor Komyo. It seems that Takauji thought he might put the alternating successions of Jimyoin and Daigaku lines back into place, and perhaps everyone would just go along with it. In this, he was incorrect. It was later claimed that Emperor Go-Daigo had already stepped down as Tenno and named his son Prince Tsunenaga as his successor, but this is likely false. 
Only the Taiheiki makes such a claim, and no other contemporary documents confirm this supposed succession. The twelve-year-old Tsunenaga had fled to Echizen province under the protection of Nita Yoshisada, and both he and his younger brother, Crown Prince Narinaga, had become symbols of resistance to the Ashikaga rebellion. In the near term, however, Ashikaga Takauji's triumph was fairly comprehensive. Now that he held the capital outright and controlled the sitting emperor, he was king of the mountain. While he took steps to court retired Emperor Godaigo's grudging support, like confirming the land claims of various monasteries and shrines throughout the Kanto, he also curtailed the privileges of Kuge serving in official capacities. Toward the end of 1336, he was raised to the position of Gon Dainagon, or Provisional Grand Counselor, though he was given the nickname Kamakura Dainagon, which was clearly a reference to the restoration of warrior rule. He quickly began making political maneuvers to establish a new Bakufu. He began by summoning various scholars and jurists to the capital for a great council which would determine the shape and direction of the new government he was creating. He began with an established precedent of samurai government-crafted legal codes, the Jōe Shikimoku, or Jōe Code, which had been adopted by the Minamoto Shogunate in 1232. This code of law mostly covered adjudication of disputes between Chito and other samurai office holders. Takauji's advisors advocated for a supplemental addition to this code, one that specifically outlined the new Bakufu's philosophy and principles, which I will note seems like a very Confucian approach. While it is tempting to view this new set of codes called the Kemmu Shikimoku or Kemmu Code as a window into the mind of Takauji himself, it was largely the product of the scholars and jurists who actually penned the document. It's worth noting that the Kemmu Shikimoku contained 17 articles, the same number of articles which appeared in Japan's first constitution, written centuries before, by Prince Shotoku. It begins with the usual prohibitions against heavy drinking and gambling, and states that crime should be suppressed and order upheld. It pointedly declared that property would not be confiscated by simple command alone, but only after a thorough inquiry, and that rewards should be allocated according to the merits of the warrior's service. Punishments, likewise, would be decided by tribunal and without bias. Notably, Kuge were forbidden from serving on the judiciary bodies which the document called for, and giving gifts to those who did serve as jurists was strictly prohibited. While the Kemmu Shikimoku differs very little from its predecessor, the Joe Shikimoku, its adoption was as much a political action as it was a statement of the intentions of the new Bakufu. The Confucian flavor of the text, which constantly calls for merit-based rewards and promotions, certainly appealed to those samurai who felt jilted by the unequal rewards of Emperor Godaigo's administration. The Muromachi Shogunate, which came thereafter, would build upon the philosophies laid down by the Kemmushikimoku with their own legal codes, judicial appointments, and rewards policies. Although by all appearances it seemed that Takauji had won, the imperial princes still at large were a huge threat to the legitimacy of his regime. Nitsa Yoshisada was more than just a jilted rival now. He was an embittered and determined foe, bent on avenging himself against the Ashikaga. What began as a typical samurai rivalry between Takauji and Yoshisada would lead to further bloodshed for decades to come. 
What Takauji had won by the sword, he would soon need to defend. In the days of the Kamakura shogunate, there emerged a general assumption that the Bakufu was a legitimate bureau of the imperial government, and few dared to raise arms against them. I took great care last season to note that it was only because of the internal dissension of the shogunate that its fail was even a possibility, and that even with high-profile defections like Ashikaga Takauji and Nita Yoshisada, the struggle to topple the Hojo clan's hegemony was hard-fought and difficult. Now that Takauji held the capital and the emperor, he may have entertained the notion that the other samurai clans would soon bend the knee to him. In the space of a few months, he would no longer be able to reasonably harbor this belief. It became abundantly clear that Takauji's attempts to gain Emperor Godaigo's goodwill were in vain in January of 1337 when, with the help of several co-conspirators, the retired emperor escaped the confines of the capital and fled for the mountains of Yoshino in southern Kansai. Emperor Godaigo then claimed that the imperial regalia which he had surrendered to Takauji were in fact counterfeit, and therefore the ascension of Emperor Komyo was illegitimate. While it is now disputed whether Emperor Godaigo was farsighted enough to accomplish such a ruse, his story would be accepted by later Japanese historians, and you will often find it repeated uncritically. Joining the emperor were members of the Nita clan, as well as the sons of Kusunoki Masashige, who were eager to avenge their father's death. The area where they gathered was, as I mentioned, quite mountainous, and this court in exile was clearly very concerned early on with the ability to choose a defensible position to discourage military incursion. While the members of the Bakufu publicly chuckled at Emperor Godaigo's big move, privately they were horrified and demoralized. A competing court could, and soon did, attract ambitious clans who thought they might fare better fighting for the loyalists than living under the Ashikaga. While his support in Kanto as well as Kyushu and Shikoku was generally very reliable, Ashikaga Takauji had never been especially popular in the Kansai region. As the year 1337 began, he began making preparations to fight being certain that the time for this conflict to be resolved peacefully had long since passed. Next time, we will discuss the beginnings of the Nanbokucho period, the two competing courts, and the nature of the ever-expanding civil war. Until then, thank you for listening. If you would like access to exclusive bonus episodes, as well as ad-free versions of the regular episodes, Please consider supporting this podcast at patreon.com slash a history of Japan.